And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the Skype line with us today is the Reverend Mark Diedrich. And Mark, it's great to have you back with us today. Oh, it's always good to be with you, Dan. I always enjoy talking with you. Now, we uh, chat from time to time uh, during the month, during the week sometimes, and uh, you've moved down to a new place. You used to be in the Hudson Valley, and tell us really quick where you live now. Well, I live in Lancaster, South Carolina. Not Lancaster, Pennsylvania, but Lancaster, South Carolina, and it's a it's a nice place down here. We It's beautiful, but... Hudson Valley is also very beautiful. <laughs> I know you still love the Hudson Valley. Oh, well, I do. I do. Uh, today's discussion transcends um, those two places, and we want to talk a little bit about Indians. Um, they don't get too much talk about. The um, subject comes up because we just came through a couple of days ago, Thanksgiving Day, Absolutely. and part of the Thanksgiving account includes Indians. And so um, the account may be a little bit different than what the public school teaches, but so we look to you because you are actually trained in um, some of the Indian history. Um, I think I think some of your schooling included that, didn't it? Formal schooling. I did a THM. I did a THM thesis on the colonial missionary work among the Indians. Oh, that's perfect. I, that's exactly what we want to talk about. It, it really, um, really dealt with that. I, I was more specifically with the Iroquois Indians, but, you know, when you start studying this stuff, you study all the the colonial missionary work and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. And so it was a very, very fascinating for me to, to see what had happened. And, and I know you, you gave me a, a link uh, <laughs> send a link through, and it, it happened to be Rush Limbaugh talking about one yes. of his books, and yes. and, uh, and what really happened there, and that was good. And of course, the account of that, and an account of how the the early pilgrims settled, is from William Bradford, yes. which you know he got talking about that. Well, I have that book, and I've read that. Book. <laughs> And uh, my my copy was, I think, a tricentennial copy that they had put out. And it's very interesting and fascinating. And of course, what he said was absolutely true. These The pilgrims that came over were separating what we would call uh, separating Puritans. Now, you can look at Puritans in two classes. And he talked about uh, James I of England when he became king. He did. He uh, any dissenters he he put under his thumb. Mm. He did not like the Puritans. There there was the Hampton Court conference that he had, and they had such great hope for him because he was from Scotland. So all these right. dissenters, these Puritans, thought this guy's going to be a Presbyterian. <laughs> he wasn't. No. He in fact had more Catholic sympathies than, oh, that's interesting. than he did, and he just shot them down everywhere at this Hampton Court conference. But it's at the Hampton Court conference 
where there was a suggestion, well, maybe we need a new translation, and that's where the King James Bible came from. Ah, okay. And so he said, let's take the old Bishop's Bible and, and, and uh, revise it and make the King James Bible. Well, the Puritans already had their Bible. I think it was another kick into the teeth of the Puritans. It may have The Puritans been. had the Geneva Bible. Geneva, and, yeah. And that's what the pilgrims brought with them. They brought the 1599 edition of the Geneva Bible to America. And, of course, what we see there, uh, they were supposed to land in Virginia uh, because of the way ships went in those days. They wound up in Massachusetts too late to get down to Virginia. So they landed there at Plymouth Rock. Now, that time of the year when they landed in that geography, that's that's a rugged landscape, is it not? It is. It's really, um, you're talking November, and uh, they were just in a terrible situation, really. It's a real survival situation. So if you look at the Puritans that came over, and again, uh, they came over because they saw an opportunity to really serve God the the way they wanted. They had gone over to, to Holland where they had religious freedom. When James drove them out, they went to Holland, and then they came, they said, you know, things aren't working out here in Holland. Um, And then they saw this new world. And, of course, uh, they got financing from merchant companies to be able to send them over. And so they sent them over, and they settled. And they land on Plymouth Rock, and um, they, they don't know where they're at. They don't know what's going on. They're struggling to survive, to get shelters Mm -hmm. built before the blast of winter hit them to get enough food. And they ran into a cache of corn that the Indians had Mm -hmm. put there, and they used them. And eventually, shortly after they landed, they they ran into an Indian by the name of Samoset. And Samoset, part of the Wampanoag group, and he knew of this Indian by the name of Squanto. Oh, that's where it comes in. Yeah. So Squanto, and he knew that, that Squanto could speak English. Now, Squanto could speak English because when the first seafaring captains got there, they lured a bunch of the Indians on their ship, and Squanto was taken captive. Uh-huh. And he was made a slave, and he eventually got freed, and then he was enslaved again. <laughs> mm. He actually had two enslavements, but then... he he got free and had returned back. During that time, his entire tribe had succumbed to probably smallpox. Uh-huh. You know, it was one of the, the diseases that, that hit them and hit them hard. And wiped out the whole tribe. And this is where the pilgrims landed. Wow. So they basically had land all set and ready for them. And the guy who could speak English and teach them some of the things of how to plant and how to do things there. So they, they settled there. They had a really rough first winter. They lost half the, their people, mm. half their population. But in the spring and summer, they started growing and they grew and things grew great. <laughs> and, and and so they had this, this wonderful harvest. And so... They worship God. They, yes. they, this, they had a, a day where they were going to give thanks to God. In the midst of all of the suffering and trials, 
they were going to give thanks to God. Mm. And so the Indians joined them. They came by, the Wampanoag Indians, Massasoit was the chief, and he, they, brought, uh, they brought deer. They brought a number of deer with them, so they had a lot of venison. They may have gotten turkeys and ducks, being the time of the year that it was. They probably had some, some fowl there mm. and, and various different things. And their feast lasted, I think, about three days. That's amazing. Now, yes. my hunch is that these people in those early days uh, did not hunt for sport. They hunted to secure the meat that That's resulted right. from them harvesting uh, the animal. Absolutely. Absolutely. They were they were survival hunting. Yes. Subsistence hunting. You know, they, yes. they, they, that's what they're doing. And here's, here's the thing, Dan. You know, people... And don't understand this, and of course, their concern was to to reach these people with the gospel. Now, that's right. Very shortly, they they became successful. And as one of the things that William Bradford pointed out was that initially they had a common pool and a common stock. In other words, the people who sponsored them said, "This is everything's going to be in common." Nobody owns anything. Everything's in common. That's their sponsors, and they're requiring that, basically. Yeah, they're telling them to do that. Well, William Bradford quickly found out it didn't work. (laughs) This is what we would call socialism. Yes. Or Marxism, you know, long before Marx. uh, But socialism or communism, and that was... And he said it didn't work because nobody was motivated to work because... Correct. They were working for somebody else and not for their own families, you know. Mm-hmm. And so they changed it. They changed it to a free enterprise system. Yes. And soon they were growing and they, they grew enough not only for themselves but for to sell and to help the Indians. And, in fact, a couple of years after the Indians helped them through the, the first bad winter, the pilgrims were able to help the Indians who were running short as well. That's great. You know, they had a hard winter, and they, they were able to help them. And so you have this thing where, you know, they're starting to, to grow, and they had to pay off these creditors. Mm-hmm. And they realized, you know, that communist system that they were working under wasn't working. And when they got to free enterprise, I remember correctly, it's been a long time since I've read the, yeah. uh, Bradford's account, but if I remember correctly... They paid him off early. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. And I think they did. And so a lot of the other Puritans came, that, that what we would call the non-separating Puritans. Now, the, the pilgrims were separating Puritans. They said, Church of England, it's too far gone. we mm-hmm. we got to separate from it. The non-separating Puritans were, Church of England, it's got a lot of problems, bad things. But we don't need to separate it. We can we can reform it. Mm-hmm. Well, they never did reform it from within, but no. <laughs> but they they came and settled, and, and so yeah. But understand what's happening here. A lot of people, and I hear these things. Oh, these people weren't really missionaries. They didn't really. They were just concerned about their own money and their own welfare. Yeah. Guess what? This was survival. Yes. People have no concept. Yeah, oh, I go out camping. Yeah, big deal. You go out <laughs> camping with all these luxuries, and if you have a problem, you can bail out at any second. That's right. Hop in your car, sleep overnight, and drive these home. people had no bailouts. And, and having done enough, 
you know, kicking around the woods and roughing it, yeah, if you will, in camping. I know a bit about the woods. Yeah, you I do. Know a bit about all of this stuff. And here's one of the things that's always a problem. When you go into a new woods, there's a lots of plants and vegetations, and you say, well, maybe I can forage on this. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can, and maybe you can't, because a number of these things are going to be poisonous. Correct. And so when the pilgrims first got here, they didn't know what was edible and what would be poisonous. Yeah. I mean, you, you get something, you see these nice, big, dark berries, and it looks good, and might taste them, and might taste not too bad. But they're pokeweed. Hmm. Pokeweed is poisonous. Oh, dear. Oh, my. And, you know, the blackberries are good to eat. Elderberries are good to eat. Pokeweed, no. <laughs> you see these nice little red berries. That's a nightshade. It'll kill you. Isn't that something? So you're stuck in a situation where... I don't know what's good. And, of course, the fortunate thing was when they had this relationship with the Indians, they could say, don't eat that. Eat this, you know. And and, and you you could find a shagbark hickory nut, and you could crack it open. That's right. You could eat the nut, and it would be good. You'd see the acorn fall down. You'd peel the acorn. You'd eat the center of it, and you'd get sick. That's right. That's right. A squirrel is different than a human being on that That's front. That's right. You see the squirrels eat it. You see the deer eat it. But you can't eat it. No. Unless you do something with it. So <laughs> so this is a survival situation. And, yeah, these people were just trying to survive. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and did they have a lot of time? You know, very quickly they did. Very quickly, in a few years... They were surviving well enough that they were reaching out to the Indians. Yeah. And so it was that we had a missionary come by the name of John Elliott. And John Elliott, he was working with his little congregation, but he was reaching out to the Indians. And he realized that the Indians did not have the word of God. They Uh. needed the word of God. And so he learned their language and he translated the Bible into their language. That's wonderful. He learned their language. That's key. Yes. yes. And the first printed Bible in the United States was this Bible in the Indian language that uh, John Eliot That's had, had translated. It's interesting. One of, one of the words that, you know, as he translated, one of the words that he had was 34 letters long. Oh my! I, I, yeah, no, I, I can't remember what it is. You know, it's something like supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. It's not that, <laughs> but it's you. Know, you get the idea. It's really uh, one of these these things. But he reached out, and there were others that that reached out. The Mayhews reached out, and a lot of these things. And very often, the relationships were pretty good. But remember, it wasn't just the Pilgrims that came and the Puritans that came. There are a lot of other people who came yes. as well, and some were very secular, and very often they stirred up a lot of problems. Sure. Yes. One of the men who seemed to, to cause a lot of problems was Samuel Groton, and uh, uh, I won't get into him, but y- you, you see that there was difficulties, and then there was uprisings, and there, were, there was some, some problems. Mm-hmm. Well, this is fascinating. Uh, today we're talking with the Reverend Mark Diedrich who's done a lot of work about evangelism among the Indians during the colonial era. 
and yeah. uh, particularly during the the Pilgrim era, and also you extended that into uh, an interest area of the Iroquois. Now, the Iroquois were in New York State, correct? Right. The Iroquois are in New York State, and initially there were five different tribes. You know, the Seneca, the Cayuga, the Onondaga, the Mohawk, and the uh, Oneida. Oh, my. And so, well, the Seneca were on the west, the Mohawks were on the east, and then the Tuscaroras joined them. Uh, mm-hmm. When settlers came, uh, eventually the Tuscaroras got pushed out, and they came north, and they joined the Iroquois Federation. I thought that was an inn where you went to eat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it is. Oh, sorry. At any rate, that was a major. And then they had the Algonquin tribes, and then the northern tribes were Hurons and and the Roman Catholics uh, did a lot of uh, work among them. The Jesuits had reached up mm-hmm. there. And, of course, people recognized the Jesuits. You know, well, they, they really did do the evangelism. Well, yes and no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just, um, that's another discussion in yeah, and of sure. itself, what the Roman Catholic was seeking. They would try to get the people baptized, and that was it. And there was uh. a lot of what we called syncretism. Roman Catholics were willing to accept a lot of the pagan worship practices mm-hmm. as long as they added as long as they added the, oh, the Roman gotcha Catholic that's stuff. what you mean by that yeah right yeah right. And, and, and whereas the Protestants they would make it very clear this is the one and true living God yes and yes. and you trust in him means you reject all these other false gods that you have. You have to. If, if, you, if yeah. you read the Bible and you take the words of Jesus seriously, That's he's, right. he's very specific that he is the only way to God, right? Absolutely. Jesus is the only way, the, the, the truth and the life. And, and you look at the Old Testament and see what Israel used to do. They, Same they story. And they... they and they would say, well, yeah, well, we can have the Baals and we can have the Ashtoreths and, yes. and, and all these, these other false gods. And God said, no, no, no you got to get rid of that. You know, Mark, uh, today we're talking with Mark Diedrich. Um, a thought comes to mind when I drive into Kingston, New York, which you're familiar with. We used right. to live up here. Um, some very, very troubling things um, catch the eye. And there's a lot more, can I call it idols? Yes. That, that are seen, maybe a picture painted on the side of a building of a kind of like an Eastern god with his hands out right. and and all of this. And even as I drive through um, Olive Bridge, New York, there's one place where there's idols sitting out. And yeah. uh, particularly some of the more expensive houses constantly, it seems, have idols sitting around. Uh, we need a mighty awakening like we haven't in years. If we're to save our country, which we can't, it's God who does it, yeah. uh, it comes first through changed hearts, right? That's absolutely. And and that's what a lot of these early Christians wanted to, to see the hearts of of their their neighbors yes. who had lived in these tribes changed. Yes. And so there was a great efforts made to do that and reach them with some success. Yes. And people don't recognize that. Now, if you look at that, one of the, the, the large groups besides the Iroquois, the Iroquois were very tough to reach. Mm-hmm. But the Delaware, what we call the Delaware Lenni Lenape mm-hmm. Indians, 
they were reached in the Christian circles. A lot of people know about David Brainerd and mm-hmm. David Brainerd reached. And David Brainerd is a, a man to be admired. He died in his in his twenties trying to reach mm. these people. He probably had to what we would call tuberculosis. At that time, they called it consumption. Mm. And so he he tried to reach them with some success. Mm-hmm. And but the ones who really were successful was this little uh, pietistic group called the Moravians. Mm-hmm. The Moravians came over and they wanted to reach them with the, with the gospel, and they they were able to do that with the Delaware Indians. Oh, that's neat. And they had yeah. any number of communities where they had evangelized a lot of the people. And uh, it's interesting to read their accounts of how they had reached these people and uh, various Indians who had come to faith. And it really is fascinating. In addition to that, a lot of the New England Indians had come to faith. And there was actually uh, a group of them that had gotten together at Stockbridge in Massachusetts. Uh And uh, Jonathan Edwards, after they kicked him out of his church, uh, went and was <laughs> worked with them for many years until he was called to be the president of the College of New Jersey, which is now known as Princeton. Oh, yes, yes. And so you had that work going on. In addition to that, when the First Great Awakening hit, a lot of them were really concerned about reaching the Indians, and one of them was a, a man by the name of Eliezer Wheelock. Hmm. And he's, he is uh, considered the founder of Dartmouth College. Okay. And so Eliezer Wheelock uh, reached out, and one of his uh, protégés, Samuel Kirkland, did actually reach a number of the central tribes of the Iroquois, so that mm-hmm. when the American Revolution started, the Senecas and the Mohawks joined the British. Ah. But Kirkland was able to keep those middle tribes, for the most part, out of the war. Very interesting. As were the Moravians to keep the Delawares out of the war. Now, time frame-wise, you've mentioned the Great Awakening, and uh, that starts, what, 1730s? and. 1736 usually is uh, okay. the given, yes. The 1730s, and it, and it goes through the 1740s, uh, yeah. 1750s, almost into the 1760s, you know, depending on, you know, you're looking at little pockets here and there. So relative to the Puritans coming over, what, it's like 110 years after or 120 right. years after. Yeah, it's definitely time, but it's not that much time in this overall scheme of things. Right. Uh, God... God really moved during that Great Awakening, didn't he? He did. He did. He moved, and he brought many people to faith. And you see the power of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting when Jonathan Edwards reflected on it. He, he, wrote, he wrote it down in a tract or a book called uh, Amazing Conversions. Yes. And he said, you know, what was the, the thing that was so amazing about these conversions? And basically what he was saying is, you know, we preach just like we always preach. Mm -hmm. But the Holy Spirit 
did something Amen. special at this Amen. time that he hadn't done. Now, I, I, um, I'm looking at the clock. I can't believe the time is already gone. But um, we started talking about the Indians, and we've we've ended up here a little bit later in history during the Great Awakening. Um, we got a half a minute left. Any thoughts you want to share about the Indians or Great Awakening before we have to uh, quit yeah. here? Well, it's it's just more that I'd like to share is God's faithfulness. You know, Amen. God God calls us, He saves us, and it saves us to do what to honor and glorify His name. And very often, yes. that is is to to reach out to others, to the people that were there, and that's what these these Puritans did. They reached out to the people that were there that they yeah. could reach. And and many of these these Indians became Christians, yes. and we'll see them in heaven. Amen. Amen. The fields are white unto harvest. They are. The Reverend Mark Diedrich has been our guest today, and Mark, thank you so much for taking your time and joining us. My pleasure, Dan. Always. And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer 